So last week we kind of got into the second half of this study on church government um, where we actually started looking at forms of church government. Uh, We looked at three last week, Episcopalian, Presbyterian, and then Congregational, um, under which we would fall into the Congregational form of church government here, um, the Baptist denomination in general. Uh, as well as a as a congregate like we structure ourselves congregationally um, in that regard we spoke last week as well about four kind of ways that you typically see congregational led churches uh, structure themselves um, we spoke about single elder led we talk about we talked about single elder plus deacons we talked about plural local elders and then we talked about just kind of the pure democracy approach um, to church government. Um, last week I mentioned, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read this quote again from Systematic Theology. I think it's worth noting. Uh, I, will, I will repeat the, the scriptures that um, he quotes here in putting together this thought. Uh, but I think the thought that he's put together here that I'll be quoting for you, so I'll do I'll do it I'll do two passes through it. One I'll just read it um, as it is in the text, and then um, the second pass through I'll pause on the scriptures if you're interested in writing it down and going and looking for this. Um, and last week I made a pretty extraordinary claim um, that I would like you to continue if if you would to go and look and validate. For yourselves, uh, the claim that I made is that there's no church in the New Testament that you will find that is a single elder-led church. That's a pretty extraordinary claim. All you would need to find is one example uh, to contradict that claim. Um, so I would, I would ask, um, do that. Never let me just say something here and then take it um, without yourselves going and, and digging into it. So uh, I put that out there um, kind of as a challenge for you to, to do that. Uh, so here's the quote from the Systematic Theology book regarding, uh, regarding this. So when the New Testament shows that no church has was seen to have single elder, um, that is in every church, Acts 14.23, in every town, Titus 1.5, let him call elders, James 5.14, I exhort the elders among you, 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 1, then it seems unpersuasive to say that smaller churches would have only one elder, even when Paul had just founded churches on his first missionary journey, there were elders appointed in every church, Acts 14.23, and every town on the island of Crete was to have elders, no matter how large or how small the church was. So Acts 14.23 is where you'll see every in every church, uh, Titus 1.5, in every town, James 5.14, let him call for the elders, um, I exhort the elders among you. That's First Peter five one. Um, so again, Acts fourteen twenty three, Titus one five, James five fourteen, First Peter five one. If you want to write that down and then go back and look at that later. Um, why am I reading this twice? Why do I think that this is 
uh, important. Why do I think that we should consider that in regards to um, how we organize ourselves here at Mount Carmel? Uh, first and foremost, uh, it should be said that we ought to be pat- the pattern that we ought to follow here in our church is one that aligns itself with the patterns that we see in Scripture. Right? There's a wisdom to that um, that I think is timeless, and I think that it is also uh, a wisdom that is uh, independent of the, the size of the congregation that a church has. Right? So um, there's a wisdom that we should be gleaning from this. Um, I think ultimately what we will see is that if we structure ourselves um, in accordance with the way that Scripture demonstrates to us that the uh, early church leaders were led to structure the churches that they were establishing, then it will allow us to operate in a more uh, optimal manner. That is not to say that a church that is um, somehow disorganized can't reach the lost, but it's to say that if we consider that God has given us wisdom in regards to how we ought to order our lives as well as how we ought to order the church, then we could be more effective in the way that we operate outside the church and within the church if we listen to the wisdom that we find in Scripture and we let it sanctify us not only as individuals but as bodies of believers. I think I spoke a little bit last week in regards to the way that we uh, are structured here at Mount Carmel um, and you would see the, the way that you would typically... Um, call the structure that we have would be a uh, single elder with a board of deacons, right? Single elder with a board of deacons. And I spoke last week uh, at some length at, at to what I believe to be some of the weaknesses in regards to that type of structuring. One, um, I believe that when you structure yourselves in such a way that the elders de facto or that the deacons de facto are acting as elders, uh, that it draws their focus and attention away from the actions that would be taken on by deacons more into the actions that are required of elders and and having those two roles and responsibilities effectively acting as one, uh, you will will not get effective use out of either. Um, Scripture gives distinction between the two offices and churches should as well. Um, Second to this, another practical uh, thing that I think that we see in in the reason that God would establish in all the churches in the New Testament a plurality of elders is for the leadership to not burn themselves out because one individual or too few individuals are laid upon all the burdens of the church in regards to the leadership of the church. Uh, that's another very practical thing that I think that, that we see. Um, another practical aspect of this is that I believe that we can see by the number of churches in our community 
um, that have taken this approach to single elder, leader, pastor, um, and what happens when they pass away or when they when life leaves them away from that church. Uh, we find churches without pastor, without a pastor, for some length of time. There are churches in the area that have been without pa- without a pastor for years. Um, and this is this is not good for the believers at that church. So another practical aspect of uh, having a plurality of elders is that there is uh, built into that way of operating um, a contingency plan. Uh, and and in that stability comes uh, another practical aspect that comes out of this as well is uh, when we can choose and uh, God call uh, deacons that aren't required to also um, have the kind of asterisk by their qualifications that that asterisk happens to be that they could teach, then we could call men to be deacons, to be used as deacons um, that in no way desire to teach within the church. There is a, dis- there is a distinction uh, there that is important. So um, I think we limit, we limit who we can call oftentimes by the structure that, uh, that we find ourselves in, that, um, that having clear distinctions between the two could allow, uh, could allow us to have more help, more hands uh, to the plow um, in areas where God, um, where God would call them and equip them into those things. Uh, so those are some of the practical aspects uh, that I think uh, we would we would find in um, in examining uh, examining the way that we uh, structure and organize ourselves. That I think um, by not doing so, we will be less effective for God's kingdom than we could otherwise be. And if that doesn't bother you, that, that we could be less effective, then it should. Um, it should concern each and every one of us about the way that we live our lives individually and the impact that we have as individuals. And it should concern us because the strength that we get in numbers that together we could be more effective if we organize ourselves more effectively so that there could be more people that know If you if you wonder if you wonder why we would spend now eight sessions on this if you were to have 
in your mind that this was that it would concern us for any other reason than there would be more people in heaven if we seek to live our lives individually and in a community in, a, in the most optimal way possible, then that's what you should be thinking about. Is that we can, if we align ourselves and align our lives and align our lives together in accordance with the patterns that we see in Scripture, we can be more effective for the kingdom's purpose. We could be a place to where we can know for certain that for generations after us, this church would produce pastors and leaders and deacons so that there would never be a day that if, that if one fail, that the whole thing is left in shambles. So that generation after generation after generation, like this is, these things are important things. The way that we work together is, there's a heavenly impact to it. When we come in here, when I'm preparing for this class, when Dustin or whoever's preparing and, and preaching from the pulpit, like, Yes, sometimes it's long. Sometimes it takes eight sessions to get through what could have been done potentially in one. And sometimes we can be critical of those things. But let's consider that there's heavenly impact behind every word that I utter, every action that you take, every action that we take together. And part of, like, when we consider the reason that, that the apostles called and allowed the church to select from themselves men who fit these qualifications so that the Word of God, so that the ministry of the Word could be focused on. Like, it was for heavenly reasons, for heavenly purposes that they were doing these things. And that's why, like, as I consider it, as I consider, like, could we be more effective? How could we be more effective? Like, what is the impact of those things? That I think, yes, this matters. This ma like, this matters more than I realized that it mattered even as I started preparing for this. We're going we're gonna to look at two places in the text today. And... Uh, Lord, help us. We are going to try to finish. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning. For that would be of no advantage to you. I'm not going to spend a ton of time here on the first part of this. 
We've spoken to this. Um, I think the Holy Spirit does a better job um, at working into us submission than uh, someone long-winded standing up and, and, and calling you to it. We should be submissive to the leaders within the congregation that God's placed there. For they are keeping watch over your souls. They're keeping watch over our souls. Like I want us to consider the weight of what God has called these these men to. As those who will have to give account. That is such a weighty reality. That anyone would say yes to this responsibility blows my mind as I consider it. Because most within a congregation do not have the weight of the souls of the congregation that they themselves will give account to in this way. And there is a danger in that weight and responsibility that can suck the joy from their lives. And like here, this is... Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Now, I want to say this to Dustin back in the back. (laughs) There is, by the weight of the calling that God has placed on you, a responsibility that is weighty. That carrying it And if we as a church believe it most effective for that man to carry it alone can suck the joy out of your life. To the point that the the service that you do comes more from obligation of the weight of that responsibility than it does from the joy of knowing that God has called you to something that He's equipping you for, that He's sustaining you in. I find the wording of this, let them do it let them do this with joy and not with groaning. Like there's a there's a call here to the church in the way that the church 
looks at the job of a pastor. That when we organize ourselves ineffectively, that we drain them for everything that they are. We drain their families for everything that they are. And then when they're not living up to the job description, we'll just find someone else. We'll just find someone else. In this text, let them do this with joy. Like There's a responsibility that we have to the leadership of Mount Carmel to seek for their joy in service to us. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So the one letting them do this with joy is the one looking for the advantage. You want your pastor, you want your leadership to be functioning in an optimal way because it is an advantage to you. Like there's a, there's a selfish aspect to this for you. <laughs> it's better for you if your pastor is serving you. It's better for you if the elders are serving you with joy than obligation, is it not? These things are important. These things are things that we should consider. And then, Dustin, fight for Fight for with everything that you have your service coming from a place of joy and not obligation. Um, no doubt there are moments when the duty of the task will get you out of bed for the task. I pray that God surrounds you with men on that day that will encourage you in a way that your joy will be renewed in the service. All right. Acts chapter 20. Flip with me to Acts chapter 20 and we are almost we are almost home with this. Acts chapter 20, we're going to be looking in verse 26. There's a lot to be seen in this. Um, we could spend weeks and weeks and weeks just on just on this text alone, digging, digging in and, and examining it. I pray that God would help us to see clearly the things that he would have us to see here today. So I'm going to read from verse 26 down to down through verse 32. I would ask that you would read along with me here. Therefore, I testify to you to this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink back from declaring to you the whole counsel of God 
Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which you ordained with his blood. I know that after my departure fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to, do, to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease day or night to admonish everyone with tears, and now I commend you to God, to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. So let's go back up. We're going to just kind of step through this a, a piece at a time, and I want us to consider here we're, we're kind of shifting our focus now back towards the towards the uh, the significance of the importance of um, the elders within a church um, I want us to see how Paul here speaks to them the things that he warns them of as we see this as we consider these things let us consider what what it would mean if there was no one filling this role Right? I want us to consider that. What if we found ourselves with no elders as a church? What if we failed to pray for the next generation that God would from amongst them call some up to this weighty task? What if we failed to do that? What will it mean for the next generation of the church? Right? Like what if we don't? What if we what if we continue a pattern where we will burn you out, we will break you down, and then we will toss you to the side, leaving you to figure it out? On your own, right? That's a that's a pattern that we tend to see um, in the way that we treat uh, elders in a, especially in a single elder type type system. Is that we'll get what we get from you till we're done, and then we'll just assume we'll find someone else. All right, verse 26. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of. The blood of all, for I did not shrink back from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. So one, I want us to see the pattern that he has set for those that he's about to call into this commission for the responsibilities that they are going to have. One, he speaks of the blood of those that, he's, that he has declared to as what he's innocent from here. Like, there's a responsibility to the one that God calls into this position of, of, of an elder, of an overseer, to speak the word without shrinking back and to declare the whole counsel of God. And the outcome of that is that the responsibility of that individual, when they do not shrink back, when they speak to you the truth from God's word is that their responsibility is complete in that. Innocent. If I, if, if I seek in God's Word to know and understand His truth, and He calls me to speak it to you, and I fail to speak it, I'm guilty. I could not say I'm innocent of the blood. Like it's not on my hands. But if I proclaim the truth of God's Word to you and you fail to listen to it, innocent. Innocent of the blood. 
There's a responsibility that we have to speak God's word, to not shrink back from the truth of what God's word says, and to lay that responsibility. What will you do with the truth of God's word? How will the Holy Spirit stir within your heart to change your life, to change the way that you walk? They also proclaim the whole counsel of God. For I did not shrink back from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Paul here, um, the elders that he's commissioning with this by way of his declaration of what he did and the pattern that they should be following should follow in his footsteps declaring the whole counsel of God, not overlooking harder to understand or harder to wrestle with passages, but facing them head on, digging into them, understanding, believing that the Holy Spirit would work through his word as he continues to do to this day. So in this, I would, I would, call, I would call to those who God has called into this office of elder, and I would say, do not ever shrink back from declaring the whole counsel of God. This is the only way that we would be able to say at the end of our days that we are innocent of the blood of all. Like we, like there is a heavy truth there. What if we, as a church, failed to have men who would declare God's word to us even if it was hard for them to do? Even if it was something that we did not want to to hear what would we look like if all that we ever heard were the things that made us happy what if we raise children like that what if you raise your children like that right like as parents you understand you understand that to always do what the child wants it's not the best thing for the child. What if you as a parent failed to do what... What if you failed at that? This is Again, when we look back at the qualifications, there's an important things that we covered there that push forward here. Because that same type of understanding about the way that you would raise your children and the way that we can see an individual raising their children is significant here. As parents, we know that sometimes we have to be the bad guy. For that child's good. And we'll see that in those that are called into this by the Holy Spirit, as we're going to see here, that God will give them that same passion for His church, that they will sometimes be the ones who have to be the bad guy for the good of the body of believers. Verse 28, pay careful attention to yourselves. So he's here calling to these elders here. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which I want you to see this. This is one of those things that it's like, as I read this, there are a lot of other ways that you could have, like, that you could have worded this. But he says, which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. So there's a reality when we consider who is an elder. 
An elder is someone that the, that the Holy Spirit made an elder. Like, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, if a person is, if a person is an overseer, this is a person which this scripture says, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. What a great responsibility it is to consider for a minute that the Holy Spirit actually works in people's lives. That the Holy Spirit actually says that God from before time said there will be this person by this name in this place to have this responsibility. And that he would do that. Ultimately, to care for the church of God which he obtained with his blood. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. What if we did not have, what if God failed to give to us those who would pay careful attention to themselves, and to the flock. Where would we be? What would happen to the church? Let's continue that verse. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you. Do you think that the wolves died when this generation of the church died? Not sparing the flock, this flock that he's, the Holy Spirit has made these individuals overseers of to care for. Wolves will come in among you, not spearing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away disciples after them. So there is here, we find there are wolves that come in amongst the flock and that there are, and this is like, again, this is, I think, why it is important, another practical aspect of there being a plurality is because there are some who will claim to be these types of individuals who in time we will find to be wolves. And what if you selected that one as your pastor? And he, and he alone was in that responsibility. Um, we've seen this play out. We know what this looks like. Verse 31, Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease day or night to admonish everyone with tears. This would be something that I would call anyone who is um, who feels like the Holy Spirit is calling them to this responsibility of overseer to elder, um, that you need to consider if this is the type of individual that God is making you into. The type of individuals... So three years he did not cease day or night to admonish, that is, build up everyone with tears. 
Like this was not an easy work that he was called to. This was not a work that was going to be like, you know, like nine to five and then it's over after that. This was a work that was night and day and that pulled something from him. Like you don't get to a place of tears without some type of pulling against your spirit. And now, verse 32, and now, and I want us to pay close attention here because this is another, um, like the weight of this type of reality is one that is like, I, I think I find myself, and I'm sure you find yourself like, how in the world am I ever going to be good enough to not fail miserably at this? And now I commend you to God and to the word of His grace. The reason that the church has not failed miserably in spite of our miserable attempts throughout the history of the church is because God holds us up in the word of His grace. That's His word to us. This is literally what we are reading right now is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among those who are sanctified. So when I think about this, when I think about this responsibility, when I think about anyone who is called into this responsibility and churches as they are supporting these individuals, are they relying on God and His Word? That is the only hope that any broken, fallen man has for this thing to work out and the wheels not fall off immediately. Um, As we close, I want us to be in prayer about this. Be in prayer about the way that, not only the way that we live our lives as individuals, but the way that we live lives together. Right, The way that we live lives together as the church. And I want us to be in prayer about how we can be most effectively used for His kingdom. And I'm going to leave you with this. I believe that the way that we are structured currently is not the most effective way that we can be structuring ourselves. I believe there's a better way. I wish I could tell you from point A to point Z how we could make that that transition I know for certain the one who does and I would ask you as a body of believers, that we would be in prayer, that God would lead us 
to be the most effective church, to be the most effective individuals and collective of individuals that we could be. Let's start there. Let's start by praying together that God would use us effectively. That we would be His church and that His church would be used long after each and every one of us are dead and gone. Let's pray.